Greetings, and welcome to JOY, a podcast from St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I received some helpful feedback from one of our newer listeners recently that I need to remind people why this podcast is called JOY. J is for Jesus, O is for others, and Y is for you. That's how I imagine these conversations. Whatever we're talking about, Jesus is with us as we speak, listen, interact, and learn. It's a recipe for joy. I'm the Reverend Mary Vano, and today I'm happy to welcome Dr. Chelsea Wakefield. Dr. Wakefield is the director of the Couples Center at UAMS. She's a psychotherapist and couples counselor. She's an author and an educator, and she's also been doing her own podcast, which I will encourage you all to listen to. Welcome, Chelsea. Great to be here. So I've invited Chelsea to join me today to talk about marriage. Marriage is sometimes we say a blessed mystery, but it is also always challenging. I think for most, it is ultimately also very rewarding, but this year has brought a kind of intensity to the challenges of marriage and other close relationships. Chelsea, what are you seeing as some of the unique challenges of this season? One of the things that seems to be evolving as people spend more time together and more time at home is that they're realizing the limits of their relationship capacities. And also, it's fairly normal if we spend a great deal of time with one person that eventually we are going to become annoying and they're going to become annoying. So I think that feeling of annoyance and a little bit of restlessness and agitation is fairly normal in relationships right now. And I encourage people not to make too big a deal out of it because anxiety in general is up in our culture right now with the news cycle that's going on and the pandemic. We're all just a little bit more anxious than we used to be. And when we're more anxious, things that normally would just slide by are more threatening and more aggravating. When we're anxious, we just don't react as well. We don't let things wash over us, as you said. What are the tools and strategies that we can use to deal with that anxiety so that we can manage our relationships better? I really believe that we are in a time when we are being invited to go deeper. I always work with couples from the standpoint of the idea that relationships are a path of growth. They're not an answer. They're an opening into a world that two people will inhabit together. It's a co-world and they need to create it together. And in this time when our foundations are shifting and the things that we used to believe were stable and things we could count on, all that foundation is shifting. So we are being invited to really get our taproot more deeply into our spiritual resources and to learn and grow in a different way than building our resume or building our bank account or just going out and enjoying life. You and I were talking earlier about morning practices, and I have really dedicated myself in this time to spending time in the morning to set my center and to really spend a few moments reading something inspirational that is more in the eternal rather than the present news cycle. And then to just get quiet and ask, what is it that I need to know today? What is the word for the day? And then just in my imagination, I've actually created a little chapel by the sea. And I like to walk into that chapel and sit down and just listen and just notice what comes up for me in terms of an image or a word or an intention for that day. And then to hold that focus as a centering place throughout that day. So that's been very helpful. And I'm encouraging people around me to do the same thing. 
it's part of the invitation to deepen our resources. What I hear is that you've created a holy time, your rhythm of getting up in the morning and spending that time. And you've also created a kind of holy place. You have a place in your home where you go to do this, but you also have a place in your heart and your mind that is sacred. I can imagine how that's sort of supporting you for the challenges of the day when you're not in that holy time and when not in that holy place, you've got the strength to draw on. I actually think that the imaginative creation of a place, Mm -hmm. when I lived in North Carolina, there was actually a spot near a waterfall that had a tree seat and I used to go and sit there and sometimes I'll go to the waterfall. But I love this little chapel by the sea that I've created because it has a couple of little nooks with little statues in it. It's something that if you actually create this or you go to this place in your imagination, it becomes more deeply imbued. It's almost like a little mini pilgrimage. And being in the same place every day, sitting in a particular spot in your house or your chair, I think that deepens the intentionality of that spot. And so we have all these neural networks in our brain that they're associative. So, you know, when you go there, immediately you go to that particular place, not only in your physical brain, but in your spiritual heart. It's interesting. We're here to talk about marriage, but working on the marriage starts with working on ourselves. It does. (laughs) It does. Marriage is a place that invites us into some of the deepest growth that we'll ever be involved in. And most people don't understand the evolutionary stages of marriage. The fact that we begin in a place of enchantment somewhat, we're kind of under the spell of love. We have enormous dopamine downloads during that early part where we think, oh, you're the one I've always looked for. And then when we get more deeply into the relationship, what happens is it activates all of our early attachment stuff. Mm -hmm. And so everything that we experienced when we were little and vulnerable and dependent on the big people, whether we could count on them, whether they saw us and validated us, understood us, cared for us, nurtured us, or whether they were inconsistent and scary and critical or even hurt us. All of that stuff is stored in the neural networks of our brains. And when we get into a deep relationship with someone, it's like we have little file cabinets in our brains and the file cabinet opens and all those associations download as neurochemicals. And we start to feel more stressed and weird. And we don't know what's going on between the two of us. And the person who once felt like the safest person in the world starts to feel dangerous. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I almost hear you saying that we start with those heady feelings of love, that attraction, the romance, all the dopamine. And then as we get deeper into the relationship, some of that falls away. And I think for some that might be interpreted as falling out of love. And actually, I think what you're saying is that's an opening to a different kind of growth in love. It's actually the beginning of the real relationship. Because in the early part of the relationship, we are projecting all sorts of wants and needs onto the other person and how they're going to be the person that is going to fit into our completion story. You're the one I've always looked for. You, I'll finally be loved the way I've always longed, things of that sort. And then when they don't love us perfectly, we become alarmed. 
everything starts to look more threatening and we do what we do when we're alarmed. Some people are more anxious and they kind of plead and they push and they say, what's happening with us? Let's sit down and talk about it for three hours. And other people pull in and put up a wall and say, you know, I really was fine by myself. I just need a little bit more alone time. And so if you pair a person who wants connection with a person who needs to be alone, then you have a lot of problems in the relationship. One of the things I'm noticing in this time is that there are many people who have been what I call activity mates, meaning that they like to do things together. They like to go out to dinner, go to movies, go to the lake, run marathons, whatever it is. But in this time when they haven't been able to do that activities, they are being asked to be with each other and to engage each other more deeply. And they don't really have the skills and capacities to do that. So that's part of the challenging time of this idea of sheltering in place. What are some of the things that make for healthy relationships that we can work on? One of the things that I think that most people don't understand about relationships is that each person has their own inner world. And that inner world is shaped by their basic biology, but mostly by their early experiences and all the experiences that they've had throughout their lives, all the ways that form their identities, their self-protections, their strategies for getting their needs met, the lens through which they view life, the way they interpret everything as it comes into their inner world is different than the other person's. So even though you might have been raised in the same town, in the same church, go to high school together, whatever, you've still got these two separate inner worlds. And what we need to do in order to understand the person we're living with is we have to actually travel over, almost like we have a passport to a different country, into that other person's inner world and look out of their eyes and come to understand how things work over there. Not in our world, like if this was happening, this is how I would react. This is how I would handle it. But how does it work over there? When two people begin to do this, they become intimate and they start to feel connected. And if those two people are actually growing and deepening as individuals, the relationship will always have a vitality. But if they're just operating on the surface out of assumptions, projections, roles, and not really going deep and wondering, being really curious about who are you over there, then the relationship starts to lose its vitality and people start to get bored with each other. The sexual attraction diminishes. They get more superficial as they try to get along, but it's a superficial getting along. It's not really meeting each other. There was a philosopher, Martin Buber, a long time ago, and he talked about the I-thou relationship. And when we encounter this other beloved chosen one in our lives at a deeper level, and we really want to know them at the deepest level and receive them and hear them, we enter into a sacred dimension of that relationship and it becomes very, very special. And that to me is one of the greatest safeguards in terms of the arc of the relationship, even in terms of fidelity, because when people value that other person as their soul self, this is my soulmate. You're not my activity mate. You're not my role mate, but you're mm -hmm. my soulmate. They don't want to do anything to damage that relationship. What you're making me think about is how in those early stages of our relationship, we enter into it thinking about what this person is doing for me. You know, look how they are completing me. Look at all that I get from this other person, which is wonderful and beautiful. And we love that. 
And at the same time, it's coming from a self-centered perspective. That is, we're measuring by what we can receive rather than what we are giving. And I think as the relationship evolves, we move toward how we can give to the other. It becomes more mutual and sometimes it gets really hard. Right now, it's really hard to be with one another in our great anxieties and needs because a lot of us are experiencing great grief and concern for the world. It's hard to sort of be with one another in that place. It seems to me part of what we are doing in marriage is this process of sanctification becoming holier which is to say more whole through loving, committed, intimate relationships. And that requires that we develop compassion for one another, a willingness to see and be with one another in our suffering. So the word mutuality that you just used is of tremendous value in relationship. And I believe that part of our commitment into a long-term committed relationship is to continue to bring our best selves, not our worst selves, not because, you know, we're committed to each other. I can be my worst self with you. We do have bad days and sometimes we are our worst self, but the focus should be on growth and evolution and each of us doing our personal work so we continue to evolve. So compassion is a very important component of relationship. It is one of the six love capacities that I am outlining in my upcoming book, The Labyrinth of Love, which will be out in 2021. So let's talk a little bit about compassion and self-compassion, because one of the misconceptions about compassion is that it relieves us of accountability. So if I have mercy and compassion for you, you can continue to do what you're doing. If you have mercy and compassion for me, I can continue to be my neurotic, reactive self or whatever, and that's not going to serve the relationship. When we enter into a relationship, it's about a path of growth, and we are committing to continuing to evolve, and you could even use the word sanctify, to become more whole, to become more holy Mm -hmm. within this relationship. And at the same time, we're practicing compassion because we realize that we are human beings and we're not perfect and we're never going to be perfect. And we're not going to always be ideal in the way we react and respond. We have to have space for mercy and compassion to have mercy on each other in our faults and failings. I remember there was a conversation that somebody once had with Thomas Merton, and they said, So, what exactly do the monks do here all day? And Merton said, We fall down and we get up and we fall (laughs) down and we get up and we Mm -hmm. fall down and we get up. And that's the process of this evolution or sanctification, whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it, is just we want to continue to deepen and grow. And as we do that, and as we recognize the efforts that a partner is making in self-understanding of self-examination of growth, there's a kind of a respect and admiration that develops out of that that actually deepens our compassion for the person because we can see how they're grappling with their life issues. They're grappling with the things that really take them off center. And I think that evokes both respect and compassion. I love that we fall down and we get up. We do that a lot in life, in marriage. Maybe in marriage, we can say that hopefully we have a partner from time to time can help us get back up when we need that. 
One of the things I always say to people who are wrapping up couples counseling with me is that part of my job is to teach you how to find yourselves in the ditch and how to get out again, how to recover from the bad times you're having. That's part of my job because you're going to wind up in the ditch occasionally. We're going to fall down. How do we get up? And can we help each other to get up rather than to be even more judgmental in that moment? There's no ditchless life or marriage. (laughs) That's part of the journey. So I am intrigued by your book. You said compassion is one of the aspects of marriage. What are some of the others that you're thinking about? So let me start with the first half of the book. In the first half of the book, I actually talk about the progression of the love relationship. And if you want a chart of this love relationship, you can get one on my website, chelseawakefield.com, and download the roadmap of a relationship where I talk about the enchantment, the disenchantment, and how at that point in time, we have a choice. We can either move into what I call the struggle and anguish phase, where people get into power struggles and they do all sorts of things that only make things worse, or we can actually move into the inner growth and the interpersonal growth. And if we move into that inner growth and interpersonal growth, then we're going to actually enter the realm of the soulful relationship, the conscious relationship, which is a tremendously valuable thing that people can truly get to. And part of that is the development of the six love capacities. The first one is commitment, which is fairly obvious, but the question is commitment to what? So I think there's three dimensions of that commitment. And the first one is the commitment to a person. That's fairly obvious. But the second one is not so obvious. That's a commitment to the process, the process of becoming a couple, the process of evolving as people in a relationship. We have to commit to that as well. And then we have to commit to presence, to remaining present to the person that we have joined our lives with and not withdrawing and not putting up walls, not turning outside of the relationship, but staying in the game, so to speak, in the process. So that's commitment. Then the second capacity is courage. And I think courage is a spiritual capacity, but it's also practiced by taking some risks and seeing how they turn out. Courage is almost a little bit like a muscle. We develop it as we take risks and learn to recover from disappointments. But courage is tremendously important in weathering the seasons of a relationship. Courage allows us to move into the next capacity, which is curiosity. Curiosity is such an important factor in a relationship. We really need to want to know who we are and to inquire into our own hearts and minds and formation. But we need to also want to know who this other person is not as we want them to be or as how we think life should be lived, but who are you over there in that body that is not mine? Mm -hmm. Who are you? And why would you react this way? And how did you come to think that way? And what are the formative experiences that have caused you to be the person that you've become? Who are you? Mm -hmm. Ellen Bader has a wonderful phrase. She says that we need to become curious instead of furious. And I like that very much, curious instead of furious. So when we get angry or hurt, the first thing we should move to is curiosity. I wonder what that touched into in me. What tender spot is being activated in me because my partner is not behaving the way I want them to behave. 
They're not responding in a way that I think is loving and comforting and supportive. What's it touching into in me? And I wonder what's going on in them that they would not be able to respond in the way I would prefer. Maybe I should ask some questions. Maybe I'm misinterpreting. Maybe I need more information. Maybe they're struggling with something themselves. Maybe we're pinging back and forth where my reaction is causing them to react and then I'm reacting to their reaction. What's going on here between us? That's the curiosity. Then we need to move into really good communication skills. Every couple that ever comes in to work with me, almost every couple will say, we're having difficulty communicating. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, of course you are. (laughs) (laughs) You're lacking all of these capacities and that means you're not able to communicate. But the most important part of communication is listening deeply beyond the words, into the needs, into the curiosity of, I wonder what's going on with you. What are you trying to get across to me? And why does it matter so much? Because a lot of times the things we're trying to get across to another person, they don't get it. It's like, why is that important? It's not important to me. But then we get back to that idea of you haven't crossed over into their world to be curious and find out why is it so important to you? What is it touching into in your world? So the communication involves taking responsibility, what's sometimes called speaking in I language, speaking Mm -hmm. to oneself, reporting from over here, trying to stay away from blame and shame, and to ask cleanly and clearly for what we want as an opener for the conversation, not as a demand, because Mm -hmm. no one responds well to demands, but they can respond to a request. They can consider it. They can say, well, I could do part of that, or I can't do it now. I might be able to do it later. Or that other person might say, well, why is that so important to you? What's the background of why you're asking for that? Mm -hmm. And learn more. To be in a learning conversation is really, really important in an intimate relationship, both in and out of the bedroom. The next capacity is compassion. And compassion, I believe, develops automatically and naturally, not out of effort, But when we really start to understand the other person, who they are, why they're that way, what their history is, what their formation is, what they really value in their lives, how they're developing, then we begin to have mercy and compassion. And we begin to say, oh, okay, I get it. Now I get it. That's not an issue for me, but I understand why it is for you. I understand why that's a tender spot. And I can have compassion about that, realizing that it's an area I need to tread lightly. And then the last one is creativity, because we have to co-create the relationship. This is a co-world we are both inhabiting. And in that world, it is our responsibility and our great gift to create that relationship the way that works for us. So we're back to that idea of mutuality. It has to be a relationship that works for both people. There need to be fairness and equity and lots of communication, compassion and curiosity and commitment and courage. Those are the six love capacities, which is the entire second half of the book. Well, I love it. I can't wait till 2021. That's one more thing we have to look forward to next year is your book. That sounds really interesting. Every marriage needs to develop such capacities. And if we have not developed them, then this year maybe has created a crisis because we're just under strain in ways that we haven't been. Maybe our financial picture is not what we thought it would be this year. Maybe our jobs are changing. Maybe we're not just cooped up, but maybe there are household pressures that are not finding their usual outlet. So all of these stresses are there. And I do think that it's building into a crisis. 
And I pray not, but I wonder how many divorces will be at the other end of this pandemic. But I also think that with every crisis, as wiser people before me have said, there exists both a danger and an opportunity. So what would you say are the opportunities here right now to build stronger and healthier relationships? The opportunity is to, if someone was to think about those six capacities and to just pick one every day. Today, I want to learn, I want to think more about my commitment to presence, to actually being present to you rather than trying to ignore you because, you know, you're annoying and I'm cooped up and stressed out. And I think a morning practice would really help people deepening their capacity to shift states. So the question is, when we get stressed out and we get concerned, can we shift back to center? Can we refine our center? Another thing that I think helps people is to alternate between big picture and small picture. So it's sort mm -hmm. of like the chirosynchronous. We're going yeah. from eternal perspective mm -hmm. to the now. And right now, there are particular things that are pressing, that are important, that are stressing us out. But then there's the big, big picture. So that whole idea that in the fullness of time, all things will be brought into goodness, into rightness, mm -hmm. is a good thing to return to in the liturgy. And to remember that even though today we may be facing the news cycle and whatever it is that you know, is stressing you out about the news cycle, I also encourage people not to take in too much news because you can get riveted by the drama that's being created by the news cycle. No matter what kind of news you watch, there's a certain amount of drama that they go for mm -hmm. to hook people. And a lot of it's about fear and it's not about love. So the question of, you know, how in this day can I deepen my love capacities? How can I be more loving, more compassionate, more curious, more creative? Given what I have to work with, how can we, our family, be more creative in this time rather than relying on the things we used to rely on, which had a lot to do with entertainment and getting out and well, I do think getting out is important. Getting out into nature helps us a lot. But I think developing a spiritual practice, deepening a spiritual practice, thinking about the love capacities. And by the way, on my website earlier this year, I actually did a 10 episode podcast called Love in the Time of COVID. And it covers a lot of the things that we've been talking about in more depth. I also really encourage people when they start to have that narrative in their head of when this pandemic is over, I'm leaving, this marriage is over, I'm just not putting up with it anymore, to realize that decisions that are made during a crisis are not always the wisest decisions. So perhaps we can just kind of hang on to any kind of extreme decisions until after the pandemic has settled down, and then we can relook at ourselves. In the meantime, instead of falling into blame and shame and antagonism, let's continue to look inward and to deepen our own capacities for loving and being loved. sacrifice and a triumph. Those two words caught me, a sacrifice and a triumph. They just opened up my imagination because I think we all know that sacrifice is hard, but sacrifice is also a theological term. It's more than just giving something up. 
you know, that sort of negative association of, well, I have to sacrifice this. But the theological perspective is that when we sacrifice, we're giving something up to God for the sake of others, knowing that what we give to God will be blessed. It will be holy. And in marriage, we give up aspects of our independence, our time, our money, ourselves. But that's also where the triumph comes in, where in every moment where love wins, where love prevails and teaches us something and allows us to be more whole. Love does teach us a lot of things. And that sacrifice dimension, that giving up, there are gifts in a really soulful relationship that cannot be known until you invest in the development and the co-creation of that relationship. So while it looks like we're giving things up, we're actually entering into a different realm, a different experience. Sometimes I meet people who they're in relationships for two or three years, and then they get dissatisfied because that person's not meeting their needs. And I think to myself about my 30-year marriage and how at this point in time, when I look at Tom and everything we've been through together, the good times and the bad times, because there were some middle years that were pretty darn tough, but then both of us grew. And in that growth, it just has become very, very rich. And the fabric of that marriage, the interwoven fabric of who we've become together is quite beautiful and could never have been known if I had left during those difficult middle years. So I'm very grateful that I didn't, that I stayed and grew. It is a blessing. And this is why marriage is a sacrament in the church is that for those who are called to be married, to live in this kind of life we have this opportunity to learn to love one another deeply. And we do that, especially through our partner. One thing about Christian marriage is that we recognize that we need God's help and we need the help of one another. We need support from the outside. So I wanted to name some of the things that we pray for when people are being married. Oftentimes, I think our prayers shape our goals. Let me just say what our prayer for married people includes. Give them wisdom and devotion in the ordering of their common life, that each may be to the other a strength in need, a counselor in perplexity, a comfort in sorrow, and a companion in joy. Grant that their wills may be so knit together in your will and their spirits in your spirit, that they may grow in love and peace with you and one another all the days of their life. Give them grace when they hurt each other, to recognize and acknowledge their fault, and to seek each other's forgiveness and yours. Make their life together a sign of Christ's love to this sinful and broken world, that unity may overcome estrangement, forgiveness heal guilt, and joy conquer despair. And give them such fulfillment of their mutual affection that they may reach out in love and concern for others. That is so beautiful. It's something that I think every married couple should read once a week. Actually, the next prayer that I didn't say is a prayer for everybody who's witnessing. Grant that all married persons who have witnessed these vows may find their lives strengthened and their loyalties confirmed. So we need to kind of go back to these prayers all the time to remind ourselves of where we're hoping to go and ask God's help to get us there. And mostly, maybe to bring this to conclusion, we're looking for that joy that conquers despair, that joy that we have in deep relationship. And that is a gift worth hanging on to. It's sometimes hard to get to, but it is worth working for. So Chelsea, I think for today, our joy is complete. 
And yet, for our listeners, we are not exactly done. Chelsea and I found that we had so much to talk about that we agreed to do two episodes together. So look for our next conversation about developing more advanced relationship skills. And I think we talked about especially communication. That's the one you said earlier. um, Everybody wants to be better communicators. (laughs) And that's a skill that transcends marriage to all kinds of relationships, right? So we can talk more about that next time. So thanks again to all of our listeners. Please do listen again next time. And remember that R-J-O-Y is not complete without you. This is a production of St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thanks to Stephen Bano, who composed and performed our theme music, and to Heidi Soule, our producer. Music